gentlemen welcome to dump on the ump ostensibly a baseball podcast thank you so much for listening tonight is tuesday may the 12th 2020 coming at you from champaign illinois my name is joel with me tonight as per usual is sam sam how's it going hey joel i'm doing well uh i'm coming at you as usual from brooklyn new york scenic my room as usual um, my hot take for this episode is that Rob Manfred created coronavirus in his basement in an effort to scuttle minor league baseball. Plandemic. So, yeah, exactly. Plandemic. Although not the one all those sheeple on the dark web are talking about. <laughs> or not the dark web, just like the stupid web, I guess we'll call it. Stupid web. <laughs> Uh, Major League Baseball announced that they were cutting the Major League draft for the 2020 season from 40 rounds to five rounds, which fits into Rob Manfred's plan to eliminate minor league baseball. Um, And it's under the guise of a coronavirus-related situation. But we all know the truth. The truth! The truth is that Rob Manfred created coronavirus in his basement lab. I will eat his ass. Right. Right. So we got to do what we can to save minor league baseball, right? You know what I've been doing? Tweeting oh, random baseball teams. Tweeting at Bernie Sanders? Well, we need Bernie Sanders. We need Bernie Sanders and his campaign against millionaires and billionaires. I can't get better at my Bernie Sanders impersonation. Yeah, you do. I didn't even realize that was an impersonation (laughs) at all. Is that he needs to be, and I don't know if this position exists, the commissioner of minor league baseball. Is that a thing? That was going to be his running mate, remember? Oh, that's right. The guy from Ohio. Yeah, he's from Ohio. He's got some Irish last name. Well, Sanders needs that job. Right. Right. And he needs to raise taxes on the wealthy. <laughs> <laughs> right. As, as the junior senator from Vermont. Get on it, Bernie. <laughs> uh, That's no, true. I guess he is the junior senator. He is, he is the new senator from Vermont. He hasn't been a senator for that long. He was because he was a congressman for such a long time. Right, yeah. but he's been a senator also for a long time. Since like oh four. I want to say. Yeah, that's a long time. Oh, yeah. Damn. 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dude. John Kerry, Redding, Red Sox. That was yesterday, Sam. The WMDs. Yeah. Whew, you just made me sad. Anyway. Yeah, you're old, Joe. <laughs> I was tweeting random names of random minor league baseball teams over the weekend because I was very bored. I got some good ones. The Windy City Thunderbolts. The Uh Augusta Green Jackets. Is that Chicago? Chicago has a minor league baseball team? Yeah. Weird. Akron Rubber Ducks. The Akron Rubber Ducks. Did they used to produce a lot of rubber duckies in Akron, Ohio? Akron was once the tire capital of America. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, bubble. Mm-hmm. The Anchorage Glacier Pilots. Cool. The Alex- that sounds like a euphemism. Oh, yeah. It's right? not. It's very literal. <laughs> right, but it sounds like it. Right. For what, I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking about that. They should play catcher. You fucking glacier pirate, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds vaguely insulting. That's all I'm saying. I got you, yeah. The Colorado Springs Sky Sox. 
Lame. Yeah. The Albuquerque Isotopes. I had to do that one. Go Topes. Yep. Go Topes. Go Topes. The Round Rock Express. That's from Austin, Texas. The Round Rock Express. Remember when we were covering Quidditch? Yeah. They have their annual tournament in Round Rock, which is outside of Austin. The Amarillo Sod Poodles. Right. Which you What's looked it up. What's a Sod Poodle? Prairie Dog. A Prairie Dog. That's cool. Yep. Um, and the Atlanta Braves. Still exist. Of Atlanta, Georgia? <laughs> of Atlanta, Georgia. And that, that's a major league team, though. Right, but what a crazy name. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, sorry, I just had to share that. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. Moving on, uh, my hot take. Here's a question, Sam. It's not a hot take, it's a question. Okay. What athletic celebrity, sports celebrity, is making the best time of their coronavirus quarantine? Because all these people are just sitting at home with nothing to do. Who is winning the quarantine Olympics? I contend. And Eli, I'm thinking about you when I say this. The winner should be the Boston Celtics Taco Fall, who on his Instagram account every Thursday night reads a children's book cover to cover. So if you have kids at home and you need something for them to do on a Thursday night, you can check into Taco Fall's Instagram account and he will read them a book. Last week he read Brown Bear, Brown Bear, a classic. Cool. I yeah. I don't. I don't know if I could answer that question. I'm. I'm like. <laughs> as you know, I'm like really bad at paying attention to celebrity news. Which is um, things I like about you. Right. Uh, so I don't know exactly what they're doing. I imagine they're just like drinking green juice and <laughs> sending poor people to the grocery store for them. That would be like my guess. Who who's Goop? What's her name? The actress. When it found you. Yeah, what's she up to? I don't know. Jake. Like uh, exposing other people to coronavirus. Right. Jay Cutler, former quarterback for the Chicago Bears, got a divorce. During coronavirus? Yeah. <laughs> Sick. Where'd go, Jay? You, can you imagine that? Like, you've been quarantined with your wife for two months, and you're like, honey, we got to get a divorce. <laughs> yep. Uh, what about that guy from uh, Jim from The Office who started a YouTube yeah. TV uh, show that's been actually it? super successful in yeah. raising money for various causes? Yeah. I, winning? Yeah. Yeah, doing good things for other people. Right. That's how you get out of Groundhog Day, by the way. We were talking about that uh, episode. Not by killing and eating a groundhog. Huh. Back it up, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what you're saying is we're never getting out of this pandemic because <laughs> the powers that be are just doing terrible, terrible shit. Yeah. Yes, that's what they're saying. <laughs> like our only hope is ele- electing Jim from the office as our president. Or Bill Murray. Or Bill Murray. <laughs> No, he's not doing anything good, that guy. I bet we could get him to come on the podcast. That's what I need to do. I need to uh, double up my efforts to get as a celebrity guest since nobody's doing anything. Yeah. All these celebrities are just sitting at home. We need to get Taco Fall on the podcast. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <clears throat> that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it would. All right. Right, um, hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is ostensibly a baseball podcast. Uh, if you listen to us on Apple iTunes, please give us a rating and a review. Subscribe to us. Tell your friends. You can also check us out. We are on Spotify. We are on SoundCloud. And you can follow us on your social media applications. We do have a Instagram. That was Jesse's job to run the Instagram. 
Yeah, way to go, Jesse. Jesse had a kid, so congratulations. Two kids. He's got two kids now. Shout out to Jesse. Buddy, get on it. You got to be running that Instagram account. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at Dump on the Up or on Facebook. All right. I'm going to open this beer, and then we're going to talk about baseball. You ready? Yeah, I'm excited to hear about this book, Joe, because you've been talking smack about it for a long time now, I feel like. I've not talked smack about it. So, well, like, good smack. You just yeah, been like, but, oh, yeah, this book's good, but you, like, never finish it. <laughs> good smack. The good heroin. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the book I have been reading for about my, for my quarantine uh, for the Dump on the Umpy Block book club is called The Wrong Stuff. Written by Bill Spaceman Lee, former pitcher of the Boston Red Sox, with Richard Lowry. Um, and I believe this is our fifth or sixth B-Block book club that we've done. Right. And this is the first book, even though I haven't read it all the way through yet, that I endorse. This is the first book with the Joel endorsement for the B-Block book club. The only other book that came close was The Pitcher and the Catcher are the books that I read, right? Because I feel, Sam, you've read a couple of books that you genuinely liked. Right. Well, the last one I really liked. Yeah. Um, the Pitcher... Oh, yeah, and The Catcher was a Spy. I like that one. Right. You were, yeah, that was a good one. Check out our B-Block Book Club episodes. We did two or three about it because... Three, Sam, I think. Yeah. yeah. Sam wouldn't shut up about it. Uh, that was a good book. It was a good book. Uh, the catcher was a spy. What was that guy's name? Mo Berg. The story of Mo Berg. Yeah. Uh, check that out. Really interesting stuff. I liked the story in The Pitcher and the Dictator. That was about Satchel Page playing in the Dominican Republic in the 1930s. That was a very interesting story, uh, but wasn't really a well-written book, in my opinion. Right. And it, it, I guess it's hard to distinguish between the two, but that's what I, I would give that one, you know, a B. Anyway, this book, though, this is so a lot of the baseball books we have read for the B Block Book Club, they build themselves as irreverent. You know what I'm right. talking about? Sure. Hilarious and irreverent. And we've read several of these books, and most of the time I've been like, that's not irreverent, that's just stupid. Or like, pointless? Irreverent and pointless are two different words that mean two different things. Yeah. I, uh, and I want to just stop you right there and touch on that, because in our horribly broken episode of the 1969 with Professor J. Right. We spoke briefly about how um, baseball is pretty square and always behind the cutting edge as far as counterculture goes because they're a self-contained, kind of like self-governed, separate entity from the rest of the country. And at no point has baseball been driving counterculture. So, yeah. So what's irreverent in baseball, like by baseball standards, is like pretty square by like actual <laughs> counterculture standards, by like Hollywood standards. You know what yeah, I mean? Totally. Uh, and we need to get Jay. I need to text Jay. We need to get him back on. We need to interview that guy because he's got a lot of knowledge about baseball. Yeah, he's a professor. He's a, <laughs> he's a goddamn professor. Yeah, he's a college professor. <laughs> Okay, so The Wrong Stuff by Bill Spaceman Lee is just a series of stories written by Bill Lee, the left-handed pitcher, who uh, pitched most of the Boston Red Sox. What? Spaceman. 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 He pitched for the Red Sox from 1969 to 1978, and he also pitched for the Montreal Expos from 1979 to 1982. He has a career win-loss record of 119-90, ERA of 362, 713 strikeouts. The third highest win total by a Red Sox Southpaw, 94. Um, I bring this up because he was pretty good, but not great, right? And that's, yeah, he had a good career. He had a good career. And one thing I like about the book, 
is him kind of uh, making fun of himself for being pretty good, you know, but not great, and kind of overcoming his shortnesses. His fame was is definitely due more to his post playing kind of career, like. His, the reason that we're still talking about him today is because of his kind of personality. Yeah. Uh, he's a hippie. He's, he's, like, like, he's like the go-to interview for people who are making documentaries about baseball from, like, the 70s. Like, he made, factored big in Ken Burns' documentary. Um, just like any baseball documentary you watch, they probably have a clip from him because he's kind of like a Yogi Berra sort of, like, soundbite machine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if Yogi Bella existed in 2020 with Twitter and Facebook? Right. He would have thought yeah. our HIV AIDS joke was really funny. Let's just say. He would have thought. Yeah, that was a good joke. <laughs> Him and Ty Cobb. Him and Ty Cobb would have loved that joke. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to go through this. I've, I've bookmarked a lot of spots of this book where I wanted to make some comments. Um. So in the foreword, he wrote the foreword right after the Boston Red Sox won the World Series in 2004 and uh-huh. the coast. So it's when really did the book come out. I'm sorry, did you say that already? Uh, no, no, it came out 30, uh, it, 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 a long time ago. Uh, let me look it up. The first edition in the 80s. Sometime okay. in the 80s. Yeah, the first sorry. edition of the book came out. No, that's okay. 1985. 1985 was the first edition of the book. But two years after I was born. Two years after you were born, one year after I was born. Gonna read about uh, uh, two paragraphs here. Okay. <clears throat> it took nearly another 20 years for an enlightened Boston front office to get the message. When they added players like Damon, Kevin Millard, Pedro Martinez, Mark Bellhorn, Bill Muller, Bronson Arroyo, and Jason Veritek to the roster. The Boston clubhouse once again exuded an outlaw aroma. Those Red Sox became known as the Idiots, a rowdy kick-butt squad that demolished the hated goddamn New York Yankees before winning the 2004 World Series and expunging the curse of Babe Ruth against the St. Louis Cardinals in four straight games. Now Damon joins Millar Martinez, Bell, Horn, and Muller as ex-Red Sox. And I'm hearing rumors that Arroyo, who pitches and acts, some, who pitches and acts somewhat like a right-handed knee, is on the trading block. Anyone for the curse of the idiots? It saddens me to watch the Red Sox lose so many vibrant personalities, but it's not surprising. There seems to be a general trend in baseball today, a GQing of the sport. Too many players in modern clubhouses wear the same designer clothes and haircuts, and spout the same cliches to the press, rarely saying anything controversial or worth remembering for more than six seconds. They are afraid to fall out of favor with Nike, Adidas, and the Madison Avenue drones. So they watch their P's and Q's, and the game has lost something because of it. Which is why I like Barry Bonds. Right. Right. Okay. Wow. Right? Yeah, a lot, a lot of hot takes there. A lot yeah, of hot. Yeah, takes. he's a he's a hot take machine. He is a hot take machine. <laughs> so, uh, do you remember when we played that video a couple months ago? I think it was Honus Wagner in the 1940s complaining about baseball players today. Today being like the 60s, the 40s. Like, oh, he he was like an old man in the 40s. Complaining about, I think he called them sissies. It wasn't a video. We, I think we read a transcript. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know they, what? It was like they only care about money. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I read this passage being like, wow, every generation has the exact same opinions of the right. next generation of baseball players. <laughs> oh, totally. And, and that, it goes beyond baseball, too. Because it's like, yeah. Oh, kids these days are so lazy. You know what I mean? And like they want everything handed to them. It's like, you know, 
our grandparents' generation said that about our parents' generation. Like, exactly. you know, that's like the rap that the millennials are getting these days. And like, you know, soon enough, it's going to keep going down, you know? Right. Now, he would have a good point, and I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, because I got lots of, of hot yeah, takes. Yeah. But he's not wrong, except then the Boston Red Sox went on to win three more World Series. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, a big part of this book is he, he loved the idiots because he felt like they were following in his and his teammates' footsteps. Like a throwback. Yeah, of the 1970s Boston Red Sox, right? John, he, he, he loves Johnny Damon because of his beard and his long hair. Right. And how that Red Sox team, you know, the, the bunch of idiots that we've talked about a lot, they're not the goddamn Yankees. They don't cut no, their hair. Don't. They've got B.O. Bellies. They're got, the anti-Yankees. They're the anti-Yankees. And Bill Spaceman Lee loved that uh, persona, that image that that team gave off. Right. Because that's what his deal was. But do you think he has a point about, like, the corporatization of Major League Baseball? You know, I feel like, I mean, yes and no. I just feel like there is a, like, baseball evolves uh, and changes from era to era. And, like, the era we're in now is different than even the era of 2004 idiots. Yeah. Um, And to say that, like, one is better than the other is pointless because it's like never gonna go back you know what i mean because like yeah so to say like oh well this is the era of baseball that i liked it's like cool that's fine but that's like not what that's not baseball anymore you know it's the same you know it's like people comparing michael jordan and cope and uh LeBron James and they're like oh LeBron James like couldn't hang in MJ's day because it was a different game you know what I mean and, and I think that like base, basketball seems to have that argument that stupid pointless argument more than the other sports I feel right. like it, yeah. the point is, is that it is pointless and, yeah. and um, you know we're like we're like in a weird you know we're like in a beyond money ball like uh, cycle now where it's like everyone's trying to get the most um, production for their dollar value um, with skill like with skill numbers being worth exponential like Mike Trout is worth a hundred million dollars more than Manny Machado you know what I mean like right. everything monetized and that's partially because of sabermetrics right uh, yeah, yeah, totally. And it's a business. It's a business before anything. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's like that's how that's how people are winning World Series these days. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, you know, or they're cheating. Or they're cheating. Yeah. Most of them. They're like they're like <laughs> mon- they're like monetizing statistical numbers, or they're banging on trash cans. Like I don't, you know. So, uh, Billy, he's born in California in the 40s. He, yeah. he grows up in Northern California. And he's got some funny uh, stories. He was either going to be a baseball player or a dentist. And he really thought he was going to be a dentist. Right. Um, he kind of grows up. He's a little young for the San Francisco counterculture, but is kind of hanging around that seat. Right. And, he, he talks about, like, he goes to see the doors in San Francisco when he's, like, 20 or something like that. Um, but he t- turns into kind of a hippie, and then he goes to USC. He gets a baseball scholarship to USC. He loves playing baseball at USC. He's got some interesting stories about amphetamines. And right. how all the guys in college baseball in the 60s were taking what he calls greenies, which are speed. Everybody's on speed. Right. Green, like uh, Doc Ellis mentions greenies too, I think. Doc Ellis, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's just the, that, that culture, you know, again, we talk about PEDs. These motherfuckers have been taking some form of PED forever. Right. You know, 
Totally. Yeah. He's got one story where he's hanging out with a friend of his, and uh, some dude sells him a bunch of greenies, and he can tell immediately that they're placebos, but he takes them, and he's like, dude, these are just sugar pills. But then his buddy, like, doesn't sleep for three days on placebos, because he's thinking he's uh, taking speed. Oh. People are idiots. Yeah. Brain's a powerful thing. Yeah. So he's a late he they win the national championship at USC. Uh he's a he's a sinker ball left handed pitcher. He's got some good stories about how he had to teach himself to avoid the fastball because he was never good enough at his fastball. But when right. he got frustrated or mad, he would try to overpower hitters with his fastball and yeah. it never worked for him. Like he, he's got some good stories where he, like I'd get frustrated, I'd start throwing fastballs, I'd strike a guy out, and then the next guy would take me, you know, would hit a home run. Take me yard, yeah. Take me yard, yeah. And so that's an interesting, like, the mind of, like, an off-speed pitcher, where it's like, I've got right. to know my strengths. And my Who's strengths are, like, like... flying on speed. And, right. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Right. And the urge to, like, overpower people when you're like really high on speed has got to be almost like irresistible. You know what I, I mean? I'm just going to throw it. Just going to yeah. go. I'm going to throw so hard. I'm going to throw as hard as I can. Give me the ball back. Give it back. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to read a, a long paragraph. So he gets drafted in the late rounds by the Boston Red Sox. And he's got, I'm skipping, his minor league d- games are pretty funny. He hated his minor league coach. Uh-huh. As minor league coach hated him. Um, but then he gets called up. He gets called up by the Red Sox. And here he is, his first game at Fenway Park. So this will be about a couple minutes here. Great. Driving down the turnpike into Boston, I caught my first glimpse of the lights of Fenway and of its notorious left field wall, the Green Monster. The stadium was so close to the highway, you could almost touch it as you rode by. A sign warned me that the next exit was about 250 yards ahead to the right. I figured, great. All I have to do is get off here and cut back to the ballpark. No problem. It took me two and a half hours. In my my entire life, I had never seen streets like they have in Boston. They call the city the hub because it's laid out like a wheel with spokes. The problem is, none of those spokes lead anywhere. It was nuts. I drove around all the time, able to see the stadium lights, but unable to find a way to reach them. This did not seem like a good omen. The thought occurred to me that I might have crashed, died, and gone to hell without realizing. (laughs) I was condemned to drive an eternal highway, that would only bring me past the ballpark without ever letting me enter its gates. I kept looking in the rearview mirror, expecting to find out that I had just crossed over into the twilight zone. Just as I was about to panic, I got hold of myself and adapted. Deciding that this was a foreign environment and that the only way to conquer it was to submit to it, I humbled myself and surrendered to the Boston topography and became caught in its spiritual flow. I also stopped and asked for directions. I got to the park in between games of a doubleheader with the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, you know that feeling? I've had that feeling. And maybe not just in Boston. When we were driving, it made me think about when I drove us very slowly to Boston that one time. Yeah. Well, Boston has actually gotten better probably in the last 20 years. Uh-huh. But <clears throat> Boston was like, it, and still is a horrible city to drive in um, <laughs> because there's no like if you don't know then you don't know you know like you're screwed you know because <laughs> like streets that are one way like become one way in the opposite direction after crossing just a random street like you don't there's no warning that it's like it's like all of a sudden you're going to be going the opposite direction across this like random street um and and you just you can't get anywhere and traffic's really bad too well and i love that description because i know exactly what he's talking about when you're on the interstate and you're like oh 
Fenway Park is right there. I see it. It's literally right there. Yeah. And you just keep going. And you're like, uh-oh. There it goes. <laughs> well, also, like, Boston has a pretty low skyline. And, like, Fenway is a pretty noticeable part of it. Like, you can see Fenway from a lot of different places, like, driving into Boston, you know? Uh-huh. Because it's kind of a little bit separate from, like, downtown, like, high-rises. But, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So, so was he supposed to pitch in that first game? Like, what uh, Did he pitch? Like, that? he was getting called up. He, like, missed his first game. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had just enough time. I'll read a couple more sentences to you guys. Uh, I, uh, I'm trying to keep an eye on the time. I apologize. Where are we at? We're at 30 minutes right now. This is going to be a long episode. Um, I had just enough time to get in the uniform, introduce myself to manager Dick Williams, and run out to the bullpen before the start of the second game. I got to pitch right away, throwing four innings and giving up only one run. It wasn't easy. I walked the first two guys I faced, and a single... And a single thought immediately flashed through my mind. I am fucking this up. After putting runners on first and second, I had to face Hawk Halelson. Hawk had been a big hero in Boston only the year before, leading the league in runs batted in and named American League Player of the Year by the Sporting News. He had been dealt to Cleveland at the start of the season in an unpopular trade, and the fans were going crazy when he came up to the plate. I got him in the hole right away with two strikes, and I threw him a sinker. Hawk hit a two-hopper to third, and George Scott made a great stab in the hole, throwing the second to a 5.3 double play. Max Albus struck out to end the inning. It was really fun. The Indians had some hitters on that team. Harrelson, Tony Horton, and Jose Cardinal. But I wasn't interested in who they were or what they were hitting. They were just meat to me. And, like, he, he tells me, like, that's what I like about it. Like, he's not going anywhere. He's just yeah. telling the story of this game. Like, there's no bigger point to it. But it's funny. Right. Yeah. That's such a bubonic plague thing to say, you know? Yes, yes. Like, I didn't care how good they were at hitting. They were just meat to me, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, he's a pitcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I want to read this part about pitching at Fenway. This part okay. I really like. I really like this. The key, and this is the 70s. But Fenway, I mean, you know, they haven't changed Fenway since the 70s, really, have they? The field. field hasn't changed in forever. They uh, add, like, mon- the monster seats they added since then. Like, a lot of seats they've added. I think that they've, like, the foul, the foul ball area has gotten a little smaller. Yeah. But it hasn't changed much, no. The dimensions of the park in the outfield, I don't think, have changed at all. The key to pitching at Fenway, whether you are right-handed or left-handed, but especially if you're a lefty, because Bill Lee was a lefty, is to keep the ball outside and away on right-handers and down and in on left-handers. Make that ball sink to left-handers. Your lefty hitter is going to try to shoot your pitch the other way so he can jack it against or over the wall. If he can't get the ball up, he's going to hit a two-hopper into the second baseman. You can make the temptation of the wall work for you. The monster giveth, but the monster also taketh away. You just have to know what to feed it. I had some success with it. When I started winning big for the Sox, the writers compared me to Mel Parnell the lefty who pitched for Boston in the 40s and 50s. I checked up on him and discovered that Parnell had a smashed middle finger that caused him to throw the ball off his index finger, making his pitches stink. That was interesting. I was always having the calluses shaved off my index finger. Ouch. Obviously, we both threw off the same digit and were able to keep the ball on the ground enabling us to win a lot of games in Boston. I also found one legend about the monster that should be exposed as a lie. The monkeys claim it is, I love this story, the monkeys claim it is 315 feet from home plate at its nearest point. Not by my measurements. I once threw a screwball to Louis Aparicio while he was still with the Chicago White Sox. He dented the wall with it. 
without the benefit of a tape measure, my ego will not permit me to believe that there's any way Luis could hit my Scroogey 315 feet on a line. Dumb buddy is lying. <laughs> uh, I just love that. Like, that's the shit I love. Like, the part of the game that we as fans don't get to access, that mental part of the game, that, you know, the thinking that he's got so many good stories of him, you know, especially when he's young and kind of a nobody, and he hangs out in the bullpen a lot and just talks to guys and gets their advice. How do you pitch this guy? How right. do you pitch this stadium? What do I need to know about this shit? Like, uh, uh, getting that wisdom, I guess, is the word for it, uh, that makes baseball so fucking cool, right? Like, that, that, the, the superstitious part of baseball that everybody likes. Right. That's where Mo Berg was. That's what people kept him around for, too. Right, he knew a lot. He would give other people all that wisdom. Right, right? that yeah. was the part of baseball that he liked. Was like <clears throat> this kind of like, you know, secretive, like insider information. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I've only gone to uh, Fenway with you. Does that make sense that you got pitch in? Wait, what did you say? You pitch into right-handers and away from left-handers, or the opposite? I think the opposite. Okay. Why is that? Well, because you don't want the you don't want the because uh, it, it's really short fence to right field right at the foul pole, but it gets really deep really fast out there. Uh-huh. The Green Monster is really close, so you don't want to pitch into right-handers so that they can really pull the ball because you know. Fly balls that are outs in most stadiums bounce off the wall at Fenway Park. So you want to pitch away to right-handers so they have to try to hit the ball to right field or center field, which is deep. And you want to pitch into uh, left-handers for the same reason. Like you're trying to not let people hit the ball to left field. Right, right. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, can you think of a pitcher in today's times? Because... He's not. He's a, he's a not a fastball pitcher. He's not a strikeout pitcher, right? Again, right. we're talking about how baseball changes over the years and generations. Right. Like, his job is to get ground balls and double balls. Right. I feel like in today's game, you really value the the K. It's all about the K. Yeah. Are there any guys today who are like ground ball pitchers like that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the sinker ball, you know, the split finger fastball guys. Uh, let me think. So I'm having a hard time. You know, like, put me yeah. on the spot. I'm like, I know. I know. Yo, you, let me know. All right. So next, <laughs> I hope you guys are enjoying this. Uh, I'm just kind of flipping through the pages. I've, I've got notes written in my book. He gets it's, drafted. It's definitely, like, changed, I would say. Like, the yeah. strikeouts, like, people are... People are strike like batters are striking out more. And yeah. so because they're like making that available to pitchers, that's the direction that pitchers are going in. Um, and also pitchers are throwing so much harder than they used to. Like Greg Maddox, I'm not sure Greg Maddox is as successful in today's game as he was back in the day. Right. Again, uh, we're having the same fucking conversation we just made fun of people for having like 10 right. minutes ago. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's interesting to think about. <laughs> right. Like Greg Maddox, could Greg Maddox pitch today? Um, but like if you're building your, your, I'm putting my book down. If you're building your pitching staff, you still need, uh, here's my hypothesis. Tell me if you agree with that. You right. still want that off-speed pitcher who can get ground balls, who can get people out, who's not going to give up a home run. Like, maybe he'll walk a guy, and you're willing to be like, okay, we'll give up a walk in exchange for cutting down on home runs and increasing basically double plays is what you're going for. Because the point of a ground ball is to get a double play, is to keep the ball in the park and to get a double play. I would say... 
uh, what's his name? Degrom is maybe oh, a, interesting. Uh, a ground ball pitcher. Yeah, he's good too. Yeah, he can he can blow a guy away though too, right? Yeah, if he needs to. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the 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 opposite is you you of all this Chapman, my least favorite player in Major League Baseball, but you know right. his, his job, which is like go in there and get me three out. Right. Like, or Chapman, uh, can do that. Cole Garrett Cole would be the. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess Degrom's a strikeout pitcher. I don't know. It's a different game. Yeah. It's a different game. But is it a key thing about, you know, who's, who's your big section? Who's your Votoma Cologne? Okay, so, uh, Sam, you Google that shit. So, Bill Lee gets drafted in the Army. I'm not going to read from this passage, but it is interesting uh, the ways in which the Boston Red Sox organization was able to manipulate the system to prevent their players from going to Vietnam. So, like, he had to go uh, be a reservist in Louisiana for a while. He had to go through basic training. But then they got him, like, a part-time desk job in Springfield, Massachusetts. So he could still go to uh, the ballpark. And he got in trouble because he would start showing up at games to try to, like, practice with the players when he wasn't supposed to. Uh. Because the Red Sox were basically, like, I don't think this is a Red Sox. I think this is all major teams basically bending the rules to prevent their players from having to go fight in the Vietnam War. Right. Yeah. So that's an interesting section. So this next story, I love this next story. He plays winter ball in Puerto Rico. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. There's a story time with Joel right now because this is fucking hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's pitching in Puerto Rico. I was pitching winter ball for Maya Guez and was a starting pitcher on a Sunday afternoon that saw us hosting Caguas, a bitter rival from a neighboring town. Elizio Rodriguez, a major leaguer with the Milwaukee Brewers, was the Caguas catcher. I knew very little about him and had no recollection of ever having faced him before. No matter, we were about to become well acquainted. It was a slider that got away from me in the seventh inning that brought us together. Rodriguez was hanging over the plate, guessing sinker. When the ball ran in on him, he was unable to get out of the way, and it clipped him on the elbow. Stepping out of the batter's box, Ellie rubbed his arm and started yelling at me in Spanish. I didn't comprehend a word of it, so I just shrugged, hoping he understood that the hit wasn't intentional. I don't think he got the message. Dropping his bat... He took two steps toward first base, turned, and charged toward me on the mound. I had an immediate understanding that he was not coming out to tell me what great stuff I had that day. Especially especially since his entire team had emptied the dugout and was following behind him. I felt like Davy Crockett at the hour. As Rodriguez reached the mound, he lunged at me. Stepping to one side, I set myself and caught him with a quick left lead, laying him out on the mound. My manager, Cal Omer, later told me it was the best left hand he had ever seen. The fans went crazy. (laughs) It gets better. I'm going to read this. It's going to take a while. This is funny. The fans went crazy, and both teams started duking it out on the playing field. Rodriguez... After finally regaining consciousness, picked himself up off the ground and went berserk trying to find me. He kept diving in and out of the pile of players, shouting, Lee, I get you! He was so insane he didn't realize I was standing right next to him, watching as he tried to penetrate the perimeter of the mob. When order was finally restored, we were both thrown out of the game. The next day, the headlines read, Maya Guez loses, but Lee TKO's Rodriguez in the seventh. Nice. That was embarrassing for Ellie, who was a former light heavyweight Golden Gloves champion of Puerto Rico. (laughs) (laughs) I had damaged his elbow, his jaw, and his pride, 
And that was something he would not easily forgive or forget. Gets better. All right, here we go. Okay, keep reading. I'm sorry. No, keep going. I had completely forgotten about Ellie by the time our team bus reached Tigres Stadium in downtown Cargoas. I was too busy thinking about the game I was about to pitch. After unloading my gear, I stepped off the team bus and started to make my way toward the players' entrance. I was just about at the door when, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a muscular midget. That, that's the thing. Like, like Bill Lee's like 6'4", or something like that. Like, he's right. a tall, skinny guy. And uh, Ellie Rodriguez is like 5'8", or something like that. Right. It was Ellie Rodriguez looking a lot different out of uniform. As I turned to face him, bam! I got hit in the back of the head and found my face being rammed into a steel pole. That's the last thing I remember. Rodriguez had two other guys, apparently relatives, with him. And while I was unconscious, they really did a number on me. While his cohorts held me down, Rodriguez sat on my chest and punched my face into pulp. He might have killed me if Ron Woods, an outfielder with our club, hadn't come out and grabbed him. Moments after Ronnie jumped in, the policia showed up and tried to arrest me. I guess they were going to charge me with assaulting the sidewalk with my face and bleeding on public property. Our club owner talked them out of it, and I was sent back to the team hotel. The most amazing thing in all this was the reaction of the Congress townspeople. Hordes of them came to the hotel saying, Oh, Bill, please don't hold this incident against our town or our country, Puerto Rico. We are not all this way. That was unnecessary. I already knew that. I did find it funny, however, that one soulful gentleman kept telling me how peaceful they were down there and then finished his monologue by offering to kill Rodriguez and his entire family. (laughs) 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 Man, we got to go to winter ball. Yeah. No joke. It's a whole different freaking ball game. No pun intended. <laughs> and then, and then he gets offered three thousand dollars to box Rodriguez in a boxing match. Nice. And he turns it down. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's shit like that. It's a good book. It's it, like it's anecdotal. It's just story after story. He doesn't really have a theme. Um, I think. I think. He never takes himself too seriously, which I think is one of his advantages. Yeah. Um, and he talks a lot about having sex with women. There's lots of sex with women. Um, even though he's married. Um, good book. The Wrong Stuff, Bill Spaceman Lee. I can go on for it forever, uh, but it, it's funny. I, you know, baseball, like, I feel like we've read a lot of books about baseball from that era, you know? Like that yeah. 68 to 74 ish. The uh, anecdotal era. Really, yeah, the anecdotal era, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe we should, you know, for the next book club, we should look at a different era in baseball. But I do well, enjoy it. It's like everybody's drinking. He's got lots of stories about drinking, too. Like going out drinking every night with the other Boston Red Sox. He's got. I really wanna- I really want to get the book that's co-authored by Bill Lee and Donald Hall. That's the book I want to read. What's it called? I can't remember. I just remember seeing that it was a thing. I got to figure it out. Yeah. Now, I've been trying to Google this because um, I really like the movie Bull Durham. And there are lots of lines in this book that Bull Durham takes word for word. So I feel like there's some connection here, but I can't figure it out. Uh, pitch, uh, uh, strikeouts are fascist. Do you remember that line? No, we've been through this already before. Bill Lee, the guy who made Bill Bull Durham was, like, involved with Bill Lee in some way. Yeah, like a producer or something. Yeah, Bill Lee was a producer on some movie that that guy was the director of or some shit like that. Yeah, if you like, like, Bull Durham is very similar, like, very, very similar to this story. Right. Yeah. 
Huh. Oh, Spaceman. The movie Spaceman. Yeah, I saw that. Made by the guy who made Bull Durham. Say that again. There's a movie called Spaceman. Uh-huh. Is a the mostly true story of former all-star pitcher Bill Spaceman Lee. And it's made by the same guy who made uh, Bull Durham. But it came out way after Bull Durham. Yeah, but that guy must know him. Yeah, they're probably pals. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so like, you know, if you, uh, if you like Bull Durham, you'd probably like uh, The Long Stuff by Bill Space Bandway. Similar vibe. Very similar vibe. Similar stories. Some of them, word for word, exactly the same. Yeah. All right. We're at about 50 minutes right now, Sam. Okay. Uh, we can occupy the next 10 minutes if we want to to get to a clean hour. Do we need to talk about anything? Oh, uh, no, but I do. Hold on. Wait a second. Let's let's schedule the next deep block book club because uh, yeah, think- no, you can do another block on this book for sure. I yeah. wanted to just yeah. come back because I did Google uh, 2019 ground ball to fly ball ratios, uh-huh. ball pictures. Um, probably the most famous one from 2019 uh, is number four on the list, which is uh, Hyun Jin Ryu for the Dodgers. Who was for the Dodgers last year and was the first half Cy Young for sure. Korean dude. Yeah, 3.36 ground balls per fly ball. Uh-huh. So he'd be a sinker ball pitcher. The number one guy is this guy, Dakota Hudson, for the um the Cardinals. Or he is yeah. Uh and the, he's four four roughly ground balls per fly balls. Other notable famous pitchers, Marcus Stroman at number six at almost three ground balls per fly ball. And then Strasburg is number nine. Uh, really? Uh, 2.68 ground balls per fly ball. Man. Sonny Gray is number Washington 10. Nationals. I'm feeling so happy that, like, the happiest team right now is the Washington Nationals. Like, I don't think any team is happy. But they won the World Series. They haven't been accused or charged of cheating. And now nobody gets to play baseball, so they got at least two years of being defending champs. Right. Even if they do come back this year and play. Yeah. They get to still be the still be the defending champs. Yeah. Like the Dodgers. I I would be frustrated if I were LA Dodgers fan. They've won the division like for like 30 years in a row. Some stupid like that. And they have not won a gold series. And they've got such a good team. They really do. They're okay. They're okay. Uh, Lucas Giolito's number 50 on this list. Just FYI. That's for you. Yeah, thanks. 1.54. Huh. Yeah, how old is Giolito? Can you see? Mm-hmm. 20, 25? 25? Yeah, that's the whole thing. You know, the White Sox, we got all these young players. Are we wasting a year of development on our young players? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's really frustrating. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think the Chicago White Sox are the most frustrated fan base in Major League Baseball. We're up there because we needed 2020. Like, I, I still think we were going to be like a 500 team at best, but this was the year to develop all those players. Gio Lito, uh, uh, the, you know, Eloy, Robert, the, the Kopech, the guys who bring up the Spiders. This is a lost season for the Chicago White Sox. Yep. On the other well, hand... And that's what I was saying before, is like the, these, you know, it's a whole year of someone's career in Major League Baseball, which is, like, such a huge amount of time. Yeah. 
like the average, how long's the average career? Six years, something like that? I mean, it's not as bad as football, with the average career is like two years. Right. On the bright side, Mookie Betts may never play a game in the Dodgers uniform. Right. <laughs> 25, 25 years old. Do you eat up? Yeah. Oh, that's almost okay. almost 26. July 14th, he'll be 26. Bastille then. Yep. Fucking Frenchy. Fucking Frenchy. <laughs> I'll call him that. God, I wish I could go to a baseball game. That's your alarm. It's time to wake up. <laughs> Somebody just tried to FaceTime me. Yeah, that's that's a scam. Yeah, or for me. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are at fifty-six minutes. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, the the B Block Book Club Book of the Week: The Wrong Stuff by Bill Spaceman Lee. Check it out. Well written, funny, uh, episodic. I guess is the word. It's like re- it's like reading a TV show. You know, what anecdotal. I'm anecdotal. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. good. Like. I, I, I think it's better than the uh, Seasons in Hell book that I read about the Texas Rangers. It makes more sense than the Can't Anybody Here Play This Game book about the Mets. I think I'm just, that's too far out of time for me. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, but what was the book you read? Not the, the uh, there's a book you read that I think compares favorably to this one. Well, I read the uh, it's what you that's what you learn when you know it all that counts the Earl Weaver biography, which is same time frame. Right. Yeah. Um, And he talks talks a lot about uh, they're frustrated because they can't beat the goddamn Baltimore Orioles. Right. He's got lots of anecdotes about that. And it's too bad, like Earl Weaver actually coached winter ball in Puerto Rico, but I think that was probably that was when he was in the minors, so that was like yeah. before Spaceman. Yeah. But they would have been they would have been a good crossover there probably. Yeah, yeah. He's got like they would have meshed. Like I, I feel like like he's got really, really nice things to say about managers of his and really mean things to say about right. other managers. Like I think he has a uh, spaceman has strong opinions on what makes a good manager and what doesn't make a good manager. Totally. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he's friends with Bill Walton. You know Bill Walton? Uh, the name's familiar. Is that basketball guy? Basketball guy, yeah. Portland Trailblazers, UCLA Bruins, Grateful Dead, super fan. He does ESPN's college basketball stuff. He's, like, big in the weed. Like, right. I wonder if they're friends. I feel like they must be friends. Like old hippies in Northern California who are also tall and good at school. Right. And named Bill. I feel like if either of us, you know, get tricked into reproducing at some point, we're going to tell our grandkids that weed was illegal when we were young and they're not going to believe us. Right. You know what I mean? They're going to be like, what? <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, and alcohol was legal. And they're going to be like, what? insane? <laughs> well, you know, in the 60s, you could just take amphetamines all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Greenies. Greenies. That's now that I feed my dog. <laughs> I don't all right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you made it this long. We've been podcasting for over three hours. <laughs> uh, happy quarantine. We'll talk more. Uh, uh, sh- give us a shout out. If you've got any books, sports, baseball books you want us to check out, um, I w- highly recommend this book. Again, if you listen to us on Apple iTunes, give us a rating, a review, and a subscription. You can listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify. Tweet at me at Jump the Ump. Instagram at Jesse. Happy uh, uh, 
having a baby, Jesse. Love you. Um, what am I forgetting? Facebook. Facebook? Yeah, we're on there. Mostly we're on Twitter, people, if we're being honest. Mostly we're on Twitter. Check us out on Twitter. We've got a lineup of the nine best pandemics. So. Yeah, well, as they would play on a baseball diamond. Right. Bubonic plague is our picture? Yeah. Because it just sees the hitters as meat. Right, because it sees the hitters as nothing but meat. Doesn't care if they're good or bad. They're just meat. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good evening and a pleasant tomorrow.